to welcome to another episode of the People People Podcast. I am joined by my good friends, Dave, Britt and Graham. Hi. Hello. Hello. Guys, it's good to see you. It's good to have you. It's good to play countdown games with you. We do this every yeah. week. We have to, we need to actually start praying, I think, for our, our countdown because it's not always the smoothest, smoothest of all things, but... We get here and mm. hopefully this is a joy to listen to. Mm. I've heard those with a little more expertise and professionalism than us are so adept mm. at the countdown that they start at five and then they say four and then they say three, but then the two and the one are silent. Oh, that's like advanced level. Which, that's just showing off. <laughs> that is. Oh. <laughs> How dare they show off oh, like right. that? Maybe that's what we can do when we're in person. Like when we were in like a podcast room, we can do the whole like five, four, three, two, one, and then just go in seamlessly. Yeah, sure. I mean, it would cut yeah. out conversations like this, which I don't know if that's a mm. win or not, yeah. though, to be honest. <laughs> yeah. It could be. It could be. Yeah, it's true. It could be. It occurs to me that the reason we do a countdown is because we're doing this over Zoom. Mm. And so when we meet in person, we don't need a countdown at all. And I think I'll miss that. Mm. Yeah, that's, Maybe we that's could just do one for kicks. I love the countdown because it's a game to win. <laughs> it is a game to win if you are an Enneagram 3, <laughs> which Dave and Britt both are. So they're always both racing for first place. Woo! Me and Graham are happy just to, just to count, just to, just to make it happen. Yeah, just count. We just love to Graham, count. That's right. Graham, what number are you? Yeah. What do you mean? In the, on the Enneagram. Oh, on the Enneagram. Oh, what I don't know. You? I've never done it. You can guess if you like. This is so interesting. Well, you're not meant to guess other people's ones. Oh, I have I thought about it, but I... Yeah. Huh. yeah. But we can't do it now because... No. Well, no. Dave just put in the there's chat, no so there's it. that. Um, <laughs> but interesting. We will do an Enneagram pod, uh, episode eventually, I think. Um, okay. I really enjoy it and I love the way that it actually can can contribute to community and the way that diversity within it is really helpful. But not today. Um, so <laughs> I just realized I just kind of started it as if like we were going to. And yep. um, Yeah, so that was a really false intro. It was a really false intro. <laughs> yeah. uh, we can start again. Three, two, one. And we're here. It's good to see you all. Yeah, here we <laughs> are. Thanks so much, but Good to be here. It is, oh, I'm glad. I'm glad it's, that we're good to be here. Man, this is going to be fun to listen back to. Um, Depends who you ask, probably. Let's jump back. Last week, we looked at starting a community from scratch. And we talked about the different stages within it. And we were able to figure out that it's actually really normal for it to start like overly polite and then you go into this stage where everyone's getting to know each other that little bit more and that's where conflict can come in. And we realized we kind of discussed that but then we, we moved on and being equipped in having conflict within our communities is really important. Um, it's often a turning point and can create a really healthy group. <laughs> Often, like it obviously can be destructive and so that's why we want to talk about it now so that we're not going into it with super destructive ways um but yeah trying to think through how can we have conflict in a healthy way and what's unique about conflict within a christian community because 
we believe that it's unique within a Christian community. Like this whole podcast is about the fact that you, that Christian community is unique in and of itself. Uh, so therefore conflict within it is also going to be unique. Uh, last year during an arrow course, we spent a whole day, guys, a whole day on conflict well, management. It sounds exhausting. It yeah. really was exhausting. Um, and then we all got to dinner and we're like, I can't even be bothered talking to each other. <laughs> and so, but it was a really, really good day. And Tim Dyer, uh, a man from John Mark Ministries came and he led the day. And he's just excellent. A really godly man who has a lot of wisdom to share, um, who has seen it all um, with churches and different things. And the very first exercise that he got us to do, that I want us to do today before we kind of jump into it further, is to rapid fire as if we've got a whiteboard in front of us. What is unique? What is a unique element about Christian conflict? Go. So I think one of the unique things about Christian conflict is we're big on forgiveness and grace. And so that starts to color everything very Mm -hmm. quickly. Uh, maybe it makes us feel like we should avoid conflict altogether and just be forgiving instead. Um, uh, but also sometimes it means we're quite uncomfortable and unfamiliar with conflict because it doesn't maybe happen quite as often. I think we have this funny relationship between uh, expectations and reality in the Christian community. So at one level, we do have conflict like anywhere else. We're human beings with uh, uh selfish dispositions we have a new life in christ and we're works in progress on the other hand we have enormous expectations uh, because we are united in jesus so sometimes when conflict happens we're we're thrown uh, it can throw us much more because we we kind of got this interesting thing of yes we kind of expect it but we expect more mm-hmm. because we're christians together and uh, that, that could be a difficult thing to manage in Christian conflict, I think. Hmm. I think the basis is, is love. Like we're trying to love one another. And so the reason why we have conflict, we would hope, is that in itself is an act of love. Or at least that love is our motivation, which maybe isn't always be hmm. Um, hmm. motivation in other settings. Mm-hmm. Truth. We have a high value on truth. So often... Uh, conflict might arise around truth. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's that's in play, I think, in Christian conflict. And both like gospel the truth we... as well as just telling the truth to one another. So that one's yes, even like got yeah. like a theological yeah. implication as well as just like a relational. I'm just going to trust yeah, that absolutely. you're going to be telling me the truth. So if you don't, yeah. mm. there's going to be a problem there. Yeah. Mm. I think another one is that we're, we're dealing very high stakes because Christian stuff is really important to people. Mm. And so when you have conflict around this, you're dealing with matters of the soul and the heart and people's deepest held beliefs. And so there's just a, a real intensity to the things that we gather around, mm. which is a strength, but also means conflict is really confronting mm. because the very core of our being is then being challenged or confronted. Mm. And perhaps it plugs in more often to family conflict, like it is there's a Christian family, so the stakes are high there. You, it might be the, the one place you've experienced grace and acceptance and forgiveness. So when it falls apart, it's, um, it's just devastating. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's right. Like if you're looking for the church to be your family mm. because your your birth family, your mm. family of origin is this place of turmoil and like is completely broken and then you're joining this this your gospel family and then there's conflict, that could be really jarring. Like it's jarring for me and I grew mm. up in like like with a mm. complete fa- like you know like my family is still together and it's complete and um, for the like most of the people in my family love Jesus and yet it still jars me when there's conflict within the church so I can only imagine yeah. if you're going there for it to be a yeah. solid space it can be really difficult yeah yeah, yeah. Mm. I also reckon we might have as a church uh, the church, not just our church, but every church, might have the wackiest power dynamics of any organization mm. on the planet. Ah, <laughs> so um, we have all the things that go with being a family. We have all the things that go with being paid and unpaid volunteer staff. We have all the things with being quite close friends with your boss, which is always messy. We have all the things of married people being within the same organization actually being related we have all the things of having brand new people and people who've been there for 30 years just every possible power Mm. dynamic that the literature might flag as potentially problematic is fundamental to the church because we didn't choose who comes we turn up and it's the same people there every week and we welcome Mm. everyone and so i think um it's it's very painful because we're all invested but it's also just messy because there's not much neat about the organization structure of a church. Mm. It's like it breaks all the rules by mm. its very nature, which is great because it means that the gospel is the glue that holds the thing together. Mm. But it just means com- conflict is super mm. possible. Yeah, Maybe a, a positive aspect of the works in progress thing is that, yes, we are works in progress, that, that yeah. with our brothers and sisters, they have the spirit of God the same spirit of God God is at work in them and I think that opens up um, some approaches and ways of thinking about our brothers and sisters that enable us to um, you know we can collaborate with God in our conflict God is at work in mm. both of us we um, which I think is a, a, a that's a more positive resource uh, works in progress mean we've got a way to go and therefore that we um conflict but works in progress means actually God is taking us somewhere together and we can have mm. confidence of his work in each other. Which is very yeah. equalizing within conflict. Yes. It's yep. not I've arrived and you haven't so therefore you need to catch up. It's yep. we're both being made to look more like Jesus each day and mm. that's like that's a state that we're both going to be in until we stand before God face to face, you know, like that's, and that's, that's good news, but can be hard to kind of grapple with when there's conflict, especially when you think you're the one that's right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think that almost adds an extra layer of complexity too, in that sometimes we don't want to call people out on things or like, because who am I? Um, we all have a kind of awareness that we're we're broken, um, yep. and, you know, very strong awareness. We're not perfect, and so maybe in some ways we lean far away from conflict because it doesn't just feel quite right. You know, like he was without sin cast the first stone, and so we're very careful yep. not to throw our stones. Um, yeah, good point. Bruce. In a yeah. good way, but does that sometimes mean that we feel very inadequate if ever a rebuke is required because we are aware? 
of our shortcomings. Oh, it's complex. It is. So the more I think about it, the more my brain's like, oh, this is hard. It is. It's really hard. And so if all, if all of those things are true, like if all of the unique elements of, you know, we deeply love each other, there are power dynamics at play, there are high stakes, we have a high value of truth, both theologically and relationally, and then there's this mismatch of expectation and reality of who the church is to be, then conflict doesn't really look very fun, <laughs> um, but it can be very helpful and we don't, we don't need to fear conflict. I think, I think, Graham, what you were saying of like we're all works in progress allows us to not need to fear conflict. And in fact, there are times where I've had to be like, no, I'm going to love you enough to tell you this. Or I need you to love me enough to tell me when I'm being X. <laughs> like whenever I'm being a really unhealthy human, like please love, love me enough to call me on it. Um, and so because these are really unique elements that are at play, that are valuable and true, how have we lived through conflict? Like what's, what's an example that someone has that we can kind of like bat around a little bit that's either healthy or unhealthy conflict that you've either seen or be a part of being a part of I think um, maybe an unhealthy one is um, when uh, people take sides I think um, when uh, when what a conflict between say individuals attaches to other people in the church so there's a uh, that that adds a whole level of dynamics to it um and <clears throat> and just you know what you what how how that conflict is uh, understood or believed or how it's even related to others um that, so that kind of is unhealthy but mm -hmm. when it when it when it attaches to a wider group through gossip and speculation and through a lack of uh, the full picture of what's going on. Mm -hmm. So yeah. one of my uh, mantras around conflict is um, there are two sides to every story. Just as a starting point, yeah. there are two sides to every story, which helps me not get drawn into quickly. Doesn't mean there are is it, there may not be fault and. Um, but often the way we hear about a conflict uh, is, is presented in a way where you don't feel like you've got any choice but to take that person's side and the other person is always uh, really, really wrong. And my experience over uh, five or six decades in church is, is nearly always two sides to a story. Mm. So what mm. you hear yeah. is, a, um, is a filtered or a, uh, from a particular angle. Like I said, sometimes you know there needs to be repentance and forgive. I'm not saying, I'm not. It's not a no fault kind of thing. It's just when it comes to being drawn into conflict and therefore escalating it yeah. for the Christian community, it's not a bad mantra to start with. Whatever you're hearing about, there's probably two sides to the story. Yeah. yeah. Dad, do you want to? I I don't know if you're comfortable doing this, but because it's quite historical and anonymous yeah. and elsewhere, it might be a helpful worked example. Yeah of the the church pews at a church we used to go to? 
as a, just as one to work through? Yeah, maybe, yeah. Do you, do you know that yeah, story? I used to go to a, a church which had, um, which it was a very old church, and um, what was under consideration was uh, replacing the pews, which anybody who, who's anything to do with an older church, you realise already um, you're dealing with difficult uh, situation. It, it wasn't like it was uh, hugely, it was an evangelical Anglican church. Um, so it wasn't so much, uh, you know, traditional element, but you, there were definitely different views about it. And um, uh, the the complexities of that, you know, somebody would argue from the point of view of the historical, um, what the pews represented, the historical point of view. Others would present by the, from the engineering point of view, the, the floor, that the pews actually hold the floor together. So we can't get rid of the pews because <laughs> the whole floor would collapse. Um, it, uh, you know, architects' opinions were brought into play. Mm. Um, um, but one of the, you know, I, I think I, I was part of a group working at, you know, how we would, what we would replace them with and how we would set up the church, uh, how it would provide flexibility, that kind of stuff. Um, but it, 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 it devolves into a, in, along party lines uh, to do with history and the tradition of the place uh, with a little bit of engineering to uh, we want more flexibility in our space and uh, this will provide it for the, the future generations. Uh, I mean, it, in some ways it, it got a bit nasty it got into the press and that kind of stuff so oh wow it was, it was very um, really you, know, you can imagine you can imagine somebody standing beside a traditional pew being interviewed about you know this change is not not great mm. i guess it represents so much doesn't it as you said it's it, not yeah yeah it represents about the pew per se but like no the, it's not yeah it's yeah. weighty it, it, it got married in that pew yes i was sitting yeah. kind yes, of thing exactly <laughs> Yeah. So, uh, Graham, so how did it... can have... Sorry, Karen. Look, it, it was still ongoing when I left. I didn't leave over that, by the way. But, um, <laughs> I want new say, pews. I... I'm out of here. And are we, we, I've got. To, I, I think we had a few bites of that cherry over the years. So I was involved for a period. We let it died down for a while, and it uh, came up with a new. Uh, I think it was a new lead pastor. Brought it up again and. So it, at the end, the way it was resolved is the church burnt down. <laughs> so, <laughs> so God resolved. I don't know how you think about that. So I guess uh, the pews... Because what, yeah, what it meant was... This yeah, is it was, not where it, I thought no, this story would go. <laughs> it was completely raised to the ground. Do you know my favourite bit about the story, though? <gasps> that they just replaced the pews before the fire. So they had the fight and... Oh. And they put the fire, they put the pews into storage, so they survived the fire. Oh my gosh! Oh wow! Anyway, so, but yeah, but they rebuilt a whole new conflict, so they, there wasn't this issue. Of, you know, you going chairs. to church without the pews there just was um, yeah, yeah. Anyway, that wow, that was God's sense of humor. How about that? Not well, that's a great, it's a great worked example, though. I yeah. think yeah. of. Just so many different dynamics of yeah, conflict. Yeah. The the way that, because from what I get, I wasn't there, um, but became quite personal over something that on the surface seems quite small, but then mm. 
this is super meaningful for people, mm. right? Yeah, yeah. It's it's people attached their spirituality to this and what it represented, and so it became this enormously important thing. And, and something I've heard from Tim Dyer, which has stuck with me as a conflict category, is, is what happens when something's really complicated is we long for simplicity. Mm. And so we oversimplify things. We go from complex to simple. And then once we've simplified it, we look for someone to blame. And so we get personal. Mm. Mm. And so the best way through conflict is to acknowledge all the complexity and take count of all the complexity. Try and listen to both sides of every story. Mm. But the human brain doesn't naturally go in that direction. That's not the path of least resistance. What, what we do naturally is we simplify things and then we personalize things, which is how someone becomes the bad guy in an argument about something like chairs yeah. because we've oversimplified, but then we've looked for someone to blame. And so knowing that that's our tendency, I found is really helpful in thinking through conflict. When I'm feeling like I want to blame someone, I want to ask, is that legitimate or have I simplified things and personalized things where that's not warranted? Mm. Mm. And I've just found that a really helpful set of questions to ask. So yeah. How do you move forward then if, um, like, cause I imagine the, the simplicity is our brains trying to make sense of it, right? Like people are trying to understand this, let's say the pews, they're trying, okay, this is really like, as you're explaining, I'm complex and trying to work out like there's a, there's a processing that's got to happen. How do you then move forward without simplifying? Cause at some point you have got to mm. make a decision or we've got to. Mm. I think relationships become a, a circuit breaker for that. So you want to get to know the people on both sides better. Mm and hear their side of the story better and understand what's at stake for them yeah. uh, because then you're less likely to simplify it. So you may not agree with someone who's thinking differently to you, but when you can articulate what someone thinks and why they think it mm. in a way that they'd be happy with, then you're way less likely to misrepresent them, simplify things and personalize mm. it against them. Mm-hmm. So mm. relationship will build sympathy and then it'll allow you to hold that complexity a little more easily which i think requires humility within the relationship or within a small group like whether it's right. one-on-one whether it's half a church on half a church or within a small group in someone's home to be able to understand and articulate someone's side of it is going to require you to be like am i understanding you correctly and being like right. do am i hearing you right because i want to i want to make sure that i understand the best that i can and that's sometimes going to mean that they're going to say, no, you've completely misunderstood what I was saying. And that in and of itself can, can cause a little bit of hurt, but I think it causes more trust to be built because it's, it's not you working off an assumption, but it's you saying, this is what I'm hearing. If I'm right, let's go. If I'm not, let's, let's work this out. Cause I want to make sure that we're all on the, on the same page, even if we're on different sides of it. Um, Hmm. which I think is really important when dealing with conflict, especially when it's very personal, like in a small group. Um, I think definitely help, like definitely important when it's a huge group of people and it's a church dealing with something. Um, but also keeping in mind within our small groups, these is, this is going to come up and that's because people are being themselves. Yeah. I think, um, just, Another dimension to that is is uh, often the the presenting issue uh, is the tip of an iceberg. I think that's sort of a version of what Dave was saying, and people's fears and needs that 
you're listening for people's fears and needs because that's often what drives people are afraid of something mm. or they fear the, or, or and one of those fears is the loss of something or the um, unfulfilled need that they have mm-hmm. for whatever reason and often that's that's really what you're dealing with you still need to deal with the substance of the argument but if you can show some understanding of that uh, of those two things and acknowledge them and not just uh, steamroll them uh, that at least helps a, uh, a, a a clear conversation about what it is that we're talking about because um, yeah. also if you think you're in the right it's likely that that's driven by fears and needs as well so it's not just right. empathizing with the other it's sort of a, an aware enough awareness to know Actually, I know what's at stake in this for me. Mm-hmm. This is this is why this is so important, and to be able yeah, to express great. that, um, say, um, so so you're actually having a, a real conversation about what's driving the conflict, not just mm-hmm. what the presenting issue might be. Um, hmm. I think what is helpful that we like, that we've been able to do is to unpack. Unpacked, unpack what what conflict can look like. Um, what's what's unique about it? Because I I'm, I really am convinced that it's just different <laughs> when you know we're both wanting to have grace with each other, but we also deeply disagree about something. Um, but I think what we what we have just started touching on, and I think Graham, like that you you led us there well, is how do we do this? And I think. Like having the base of we're going to have grace with one another. Awesome. Um, But I think practically thinking through how do you deal with conflict? Well, Um, Dave, I'm sure you've thought about this within small groups. I know we've all thought about this like just personally within our own friendships. Um, And also we've all been in churches, you know, longer than 20 minutes. So we've also seen it within a wider church body and I think that that's okay um so what do you what do you what do you guys have as like tips that you go to in your mind when you're like okay I'm having this conflict with someone I need to deal with it um I I think um to be quick and humble enough to own your part Mm. and be the first to ask forgiveness so what keeps conflicts going is we're waiting, f- we have this sense of justice and we're waiting for the other person to admit they're wrong before it can go forward. Mm. And Jesus has a really interesting story about short-circuiting that where he says if you're on the way to the temple and you realise somebody has something against you, it's not that you've wronged somebody else, but there's something not right in a relationship, go and be reconciled. Mm. And uh, I think it's not, it's not like um, to avoid conflict you own the whole thing. That's not what I'm saying. It's not. Uh, but you, you are aware enough to know if it's got to a conflict stage where it's difficult to talk, um, it's likely you've played your, your part in that. Mm. Occasionally, somebody's completely unreasonable, but most of the time, um, you, you've had your part to play. It's not that you're to blame for the whole thing, but to be quick to own that mm. and admit that and ask forgiveness for that in an unconditional way. So the forgiveness mm-hmm. is, I did this and it did this to you and I'm sorry I did that. Mm-hmm. It's, a, it's a proper apology. It's not a, 
I'm sorry that you felt bad about that. That's not an apology. <laughs> that is not an um, apology. <laughs> that, so it takes some thought to say, what, what was it that I did that escalated or contributed? Mm -hmm. And what effect did that have and own it and, and short circuit it, uh, the escalation by being the first to ask for forgiveness? Um, yeah, I reckon mm. that's it's pretty great. important. Mm. I, I think uh, two tips I've found helpful. One is avoiding if and but in your apologies. So you mm. mentioned it there, mm. Dad. I'm sorry if I hurt you. The, what that does is put the blame on someone else straight away. It's their fault for being hurt. Yeah. Um, so I'm sorry if I did that. If is bad and but is wrong as well. I'm sorry, but I was really tired. I'm sorry, but I hadn't had my coffee yet. That That's not an apology. That's an excuse. And so apologies that come without if or but are quite helpful. The other thing I found helpful is as much as you can avoid triangulating conflict, which is to say if there's two people having conflict with one another, don't bring in a third person to solve it, at least not initially. You, you want to make sure the people having conflict are the ones dealing with the conflict and they're dealing with it with each other rather than running to another party or rather than you getting involved to help two yeah. other people with their conflict. I think you want to help the two parties at war with one another deal with one another as much as possible. And sometimes that's obviously not possible. And so it's not a hard and fast rule. But if someone comes to me and says, hey, I'm really struggling with my um, someone in my group, my first piece of advice will always be, okay, great, go and talk to that person because you need to go to the source to start solving this. And I think that's what can be, that, that's what can be tricky with mediation because sometimes that is really needed and like really helpful depending on what the conflict is. Absolutely. But the mediator's yeah. job isn't to fix it. It's to like to facilitate it yep. <laughs> and to allow, yep. to make sure that it's conversation is happening in a healthy way totally. for someone yep. to be able to say, all right, we have hit a wall with this today. <laughs> like we're, we're not going to mm. take this further. Um, something yep. that I've, I've noticed, but I've also heard, is um, just kind of get straight to the point, avoid small talk. Because there's been times where I've met up with someone and they, like, if they've deeply hurt me and it's going to be a conversation about that, as the hurt person, there's nothing worse than them trying to just, like, have a little chat and, like, a, like a, like a, a filling time. Because I get that there's that element of, like, we kind of want to warm up the room a little bit but when there's an elephant sitting on both of you, you might as well just address it and jump in because in those moments, like, I don't, I'm sorry, but I just don't really care that you had traffic on the way here, but you got to enjoy listening to your favorite album. Like, that's nice. Don't care, you know, <laughs> like, but you can't say that because it's uncomfortable. Um, so I think like being able to like jump in and just be like, this is what we're going to talk about. Let's go. <laughs> Probably linked to that too, Em, is uh, do it early. Mm. So that, that thing from mm. Jesus, when you become aware of something that might be arising, you, you go straight there. You, you don't let it fester or um, have more interactions that make it worse. You, mm. If you get it early, uh, that's quite helpful in, in being able to resolve it. Mm. Um, 
Yeah. And that's been my biggest lesson in conflict. Mm. It's not a groundbreaking lesson, but I'm naturally a conflict avoider. Like I don't like it. And um, at the beginning, Em, you said something along the lines of like, we shouldn't fear conflict. And even that, like I was like, oh, <laughs> like mm. I naturally fear. To me, conflict has always felt negative. Like yeah. it's something that I fear. It's a bad thing. It's it's awkward. Um, like a joke that I have a low awkward threshold. And so, and I just one thing I feel like as I've grown up is learning that. And I often think the easiest conflict it's going to be to resolve this. The easiest way to resolve it is to not, I, I just need to move on. I just need to get over it. Mm. Or um, mm. yeah, if I'm going to resolve this, like it's, it, it will only get messier and worse if I make a thing of it. And so I'm just going to, um, I'll move on. And then I realized, and someone challenged me like in my old job is like, you're not moving on though. Like you're not. And I realized at the times when I actually have, brought the conflict and we've, we've talked about it have been the times that I've moved on mm. most effectively because it's yeah. um, and he said you're doing a disservice to that person because you're not allowing them to um, like if they don't even know what they've done or they don't even know that there's this conflict here like that's a huge um, yeah it's not kind to them or loving to them in the same way that someone had a problem with me and there's been times in the past where they have like I'm so glad if they've told me and I've been like oh my gosh thanks for telling me um, mm. so we mm. could fix it and they've given me that opportunity. Um, mm. so yeah. yeah, it's not hugely profound, but my, my main advice would be just don't, don't avoid it thinking that's going to be the less messy, mm. better way. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Good advice. Great. Yeah. Great. This is good. This feels very equipping. <laughs> like this mm. is, you know, it's unavoidable. It is a part of life it is a part of the the christian life is is conflict mm. and it's because we are yeah. we we are still sinful <laughs> like none of us are perfect none of us are completely right all of the time and like we have been redeemed and so therefore there is an opportunity to have situations be redeemed as well and to have our conversations totally. be like you know what let's love jesus well and to do that, I'm going to love you well. And to do that, I'm going to either talk to you about this or confess it and be like, hey, I've been having these feelings like against you. And you might not even know that I've been frustrated or angry or envious or anything like that. But it's, I'm going to love you and I'm going to bring it up because I want both of us to look more like Jesus in the end of this. And I think that that's always a really beautiful way to pursue gospel work in the hard times of being in the not yet. <laughs> mm, yep. It's great. And it, it, um, it reminds me of this great story I found recently of a guy named Hiro Onoda, who was a Japanese soldier in World War II. And uh, he was stationed in the Philippines with a very small unit and they lost track of each other. So he was in the jungle in the Philippines by himself. And that meant when the war finished in 1945, he had no idea. No one told him that the war was over. Oh. And so for 29 <gasps> years, he kept fighting, oh. thinking the war was... So they like did an airdrop of leaflets saying the war was over. He just assumed it was propaganda. He just had no idea that he didn't need to be fighting anymore. And eventually, his commanding officer came out of retirement and went into the jungle in Philippines so he could look him in the eye and say, you can stop fighting. And I think that story is a beautiful example of what the gospel does for Christian relationships because so much of the New Testament is written to churches that were fighting with mm. each other 
And the answer consistently is, hey, the gospel's Mm. true. Jesus has made peace between you and God and the dividing wall of hostility between you and the other people in your church is defeated. That doesn't stand between you anymore. And so we start from a place of the war is over. Jesus has won us. He's gathered us together. And there's going to be conflict as we try and work that out. It's going to be messy, but we're on the same Mm. side. Mm. We're not fighting Mm. one another. Mm. We're, We're having conflict because we love each other because we want the best for one another. And it's a great joy that we get to keep reminding each other we're not at war anymore Mm. with each other or with God because someone else has dealt with that on our behalf. So the gospel just unlocks conflict by Mm -hmm. reframing it Mm. to say this is not our reality. It's it's a leftover from a time that was when we were genuinely at one another. Mm. But the gospel's true and we've been made a family. And so now we're trying to work out how to live as though that were true. Good. Mm. That's good, Dave. So good. I think we should end on that gospel note. <laughs> that was a good reminder. Uh, that was a very good reminder. Sorry, I'm t- just processing. Um, <laughs> friends, as always, I love that we get to talk about these things and think about our communities, what God is doing. And what he's doing in each of us. Like we each heard Dave telling that story and had different expressions. And I am sure we're thinking about a million different things. Um, and what is good is that the gospel speaks into each one of them. So on that, mm-hmm. keep trusting Jesus and wash your hands. And we'll talk to you next week. Bye. See ya. Bye. 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 Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au.